0: Matthew chapter 16, as we, as we introduce the passage here, we're going to talk tonight about Peter, the lost cause. Uh, Peter, the lost cause, that disciple that we often look at, we often chastise, we often want to roast Peter for so many things and get on his case. Um, but in Matthew 16, as you know the passage, verses 13 through 18, let's look at what the Bible says here, and we'll jump into a little bit of background and then some application. When Jesus came into the coasts of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that the Son of Man am? And they said, Some say thou art John the Baptist, and some Elias, and others Jeremias, or one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ the Son of the living God. By the way, coming from Peter, so often when he opened his mouth, it was very, you know, unwise or words that he didn't quite understand. We'll get into it in a minute. But at this moment, um, it's incredible what God was, was revealing to him about who he was. And Jesus Christ even recognized that. Look at verse number 17. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon bar By the way, when he said that and called him out by name. He was reminding him about the uniqueness of of him, not just Peter, but Simon, Peter, Barjona. He's letting him know, hey, specifically you, the way God created you, exactly who you are. He was making it very specific to Peter. It wasn't vague. And he said, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee, thou art Peter. Upon this rock I will build my church And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Let's pray tonight, and we're gonna look at this passage for just a few moments and then jump around across the life of Peter and just talk about how you get to a place in in chapter 16, verse 17 and 18, where Christ is telling Peter he's gonna build the church and establish the church upon him. But we're gonna talk a lot about in between his first meeting with him in Matthew chapter 4 and coming to this passage. All that took place. Lord, I pray that you guide and direct now. Lord, I need you tonight. Uh, Lord, I acknowledge that I am am nothing, Lord, and my words are not going to change anybody's life. Uh, But Lord, the power of your word and the power of the gospel is what makes the difference and changes people's lives. I pray that we would see tonight through this passage and through this story, Lord, and looking at the life of Peter. uh, Lord, what could be and what may come of what appears to be at times a lost cause? Lord, I pray that you just use this time now. I'm thankful for these people coming out on a Tuesday night. I'm sure many of them worked long hours today. They're tired to give their time. I don't want to waste their time. I don't want to be a distraction. I pray that you'd use your word to speak to our heart tonight, Lord, I pray. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. Little background here as we're getting ready to, to launch into this, but the context prior to this conversation, Jesus has been ministering in various places, performing miracles, teaching, revealing his identity as the son of God and the promised Messiah. And of course, it took people a little bit. They did believe in Jesus and believe in what he was doing. But when it came to that question about the son of God, there were a lot of skeptics. And the question of his identity is presented there in verse 13 when he says, Whom do men say that I am the son of man am? Um, And then there's various responses that take place in verse 14. And then we see Peter's confession in verse 15. And he says, But whom say ye that I am? And Peter, speaking on behalf of the disciples, answers, Thou art Christ, the Son of the living God. And what this demonstrates at this time is Peter's understanding and faith that Jesus is, in fact, the promised Messiah. It was his recognition that it wasn't just the possibility, but it was so. And this very bold and concrete statement with conviction from Peter was establishing this is who you are. And Jesus' declaration here, in response to Peter's confession, Jesus affirms Peter's statement and praises him, saying, blessed art thou. And from this comes the foundation of the church in verse 18. And so the events at uh, Caesarea Philippi, it marks a crucial moment in Jesus' ministry and underscores the importance of faith and understanding and recognizing Jesus as the Son of God. And what's really incredible to me at this at this point in Scripture is who he's establishing it on. And this is what I want to talk to you a little bit about tonight and what the Lord has really put on my heart about tonight is because if we we're to walk back for a few minutes and talk about Peter... I think if we did an honest assessment about Peter and we were to rate him based on uh, what we noticed uh, from the Bible of his different encounters and walking with Christ and some of the the foolish and and, and dumb things that he did, um, he would rank in the least likely to succeed, or not the disciple that Jesus would necessarily call or say, I would establish my church on you. So here's some observations that I want to give you tonight. Of Peter and his life and what I see from it and as we are talking about the idea I believe this month has been about about teenagers and the next generation and families. I want to talk a little bit first of all about a hopeless life or what it appeared to be. Peter was an absolute mess from the beginning. From his initial calling in Matthew chapter four, and Jesus walking by the sea of Galilee saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. And for three years is what his stories would say, or the Bible would, would show from Christ's ministry. Peter would have walked with them. So roughly around three years. And as I think about this, I think about the idea of Jesus mentoring these disciples. As a youth pastor, when I get teenagers in the youth group from 9th through 12th grade, you got them about four years. And you get them coming in from 8th grade, okay, and my daughter is going into 8th grade this year. And here's what's crazy, I've been a youth pastor for, four, for 14 years, and now that my daughter is in junior high, I, like, I don't know what I'm doing, alright, so pray for me, i got to figure this out, trying to figure everything out in my home and, and what's going on. All of a sudden, it gets very real in your family. And Jesus here with the disciples, he's got three years with these guys that he's taking that are fishermen, they're rough around the edges, and within just a few chapters, if you look through other passages of the Gospels in Luke, and it's amazing how quickly uh, we see Peter and his pattern of behaviors. Historians also would say and believe, though it's not noted, that Peter was a young man. He was married, but didn't have children. It speaks of his mother-in-law. In In these Bible times and in this culture, they would get married young. So the idea is that he was a young adult, not a a preteen or a junior high teenager, so to speak, but possibly a young adult married without children and still learning. And some of the ways that we see uh, Peter and and we get the idea that he's a young adult are some of the following. His impulsive actions and peer pressure... Okay, the, the just you know, just do it. Just 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 go with it mentality. Um, you think about his impulsive action in the Garden of the Gethsemane, when he just starts raging and pulls out a sword and, and and cuts off Malchus's ear. We see the that that impulsive and peer pressure um, personality trait of his. How about his overconfidence and his denial? You know, I I got this, or or I can handle this, or being the first to speak up, or the overconfidence when Christ said, you're going to deny me, you're going to betray me, and he said, Lord, I would never do that. You know, my years of, of, of teen ministry and working with young adults and thinking of myself, um, so often we're there in our lives with uh, the overconfidence we see, and I've got this, and I can handle this. It's been heartbreaking over the years in youth ministry to see teenagers and young adults who think, I've got this, I can handle this, I, 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 this is going to be okay, just um, see the devil just kind t- of you know, take them away from that and use that overconfidence to destroy them. We see Peter's got that. We see the doubt and insecurity that he had. Boy, we struggle with that so much today and uh, teenagers doing this culture with doubt and insecurity. Social media shows you pretty quickly why. and helps us understand why. Not being good enough, not living up to the expectations, not being what everybody else is. And Peter experienced this. This is good, no it's bad, the doubt and the insecurity. I often think about the, even my own life, the teenage years, and um, my kids like to watch the Disney movie Tangled. And when she finally gets out of the castle, she's crying, she's happy, she's doing cartwheels, she wants to go home. And, and those emotions, and the truth is, that's the life of a teenager. I, I, yeah, I want to live for God, but then there's this, all this excitement in the world, and I want to do my devotions, but this is my, my, my bad habit, and I want to. And, and the doubts and insecurity... Then we see Peter with a misunderstanding and lack of insight. <laughs> we notice that more than ever with teenagers, a lack of understanding or, uh, or lack of insight. You didn't, you didn't tell me that. I mean, how many times, parents, have you said, I told you right before I left to do this, I, I never heard you say that. I didn't know that's what you wanted me to do. Or oh, I thought that you meant... Um, just recently, we were having a conversation with one of my kids, and we were talking about leap year and trying to explain it. And she's saying, well, what happens when, oh, I just said she, one of my kids, I have two, one daughter and two sons. sorry, I didn't mean to throw that out there. And she said, well, what happens if they're born on the 29th? And I said, well, then it goes to March 1st. But, but then how old are they? I said, well, the year still passes. But what happens when it's not a leap year? And my mouth just dropped. I'm like, I don't know how else to say this. I, there's no other ways to explain this. Just as the year comes around, when you get right around that area, it, you're, you're a year old. And at times, the the misunderstanding, the lack of intellect, the lack of knowledge, and we see that with Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration, him saying, we should build altars for all these great people. We see his lack of understanding when he's arguing about who will be the greatest of the disciples. And what we see from the life of Peter is literally what I feel like often as the life of a youth pastor or dealing with young adults or teenagers is that they're all over the place. They have an intent to follow... And in, in chapter 4, Jesus calls him, and he throws his net down. Like, they're passionate. They're excited. Like, I want to get involved. I want to do this. And then all of a sudden, it's like they're all over the place. And you're like, well, I thought you said you wanted to do this, and how come you're, you're in into peer pressure? And I thought that you said you love God, and, and why is there this doubt and insecurity, and why is there a misunderstanding? And, and the fr- frustration comes because we see them, and then it happens time and time again. And it happened with Peter. And he makes a mistake, and Christ is patient and kind with him, and he's teaching him. Then he makes another mistake and he continues to guide him. And I think it can be hard to we can be hard today on our generation of teenagers and young people. But I think often we can be very forgetful of how we were. You know, I, I remember sometimes in my early years, just you look back at times and you think, What was I thinking? Why did I? Why did I say that? Why did I do that? Oh, why did I respond that way as a youth pastor? And, and the Lord's been really working on my heart as of lately to remind me <laughs> what I was like. I think we can so quickly say, yeah, this generation, whew, I mean, they're, they're in big trouble. And I mean, they've got more, and you get preachers that get up and discourage them even more. Like, I know this is the hardest time ever in the history of the world for you to live for God. Recently, we were reminded about a sermon about the three Hebrew children in Babylon. I'm glad it's not like that, okay? So it's not—it's not, it, bad times. There's always been bad times. But I, I texted my dad. I said, Dad, um, before I was preaching, I said, hey, was there any stupid decisions that you made as a teenager that you remember, Okay. Here's one for me. I remember one for me as I was driving around the riding lawnmower inside the garage, okay, as a teenager, and I crashed it right through our brand new electric garage door and just crashed the thing down. I thought, you know what? My life's over. I'm looking for a rope in the garage. This is end it now. My dad's going to get home and be in big trouble. Crashed through it. And then my dad said, oh yeah, I remember one time me and my brother, we, we bought a motorcycle and we didn't want my dad to know. So we drove it in our house and drove it up the stairs and hid it under the bed during the winter time because it snowed in Chicago. And till this day, they never knew it was there. I thought, wow, I didn't do that, you know? And then I said, what about your dad? And here's here's what he said. He said, oh, you mean your grandpa? He said, yeah, well, he lived in Chicago. And during the prohibition, he was trying to raise some money. And he would sneak beer from local breweries and deliver them to the mayor's office and get paid as a 12- and 13-year-old boy in Chicago. I thought, you know what? I feel a lot better about the lawnmower incident in my generation. But what it reminded me was, is that three generations back, you know what? Teenagers were doing stupid things. And if we're honest with ourselves, if we were to to go back... And some of you, maybe husbands wives, or wives are like, we're not telling them that story. I know what you're thinking, and we're not telling them that story. You know, they don't need to know that one. And please don't judge my, my family for that, okay? But we can be so hard on them today, and we can often forget how much of a lost cause we were. And I often am so thankful in my life as I look back and I think about the people that were so patient with me and, and, and believed in me because I was a hopeless life. You know, you think you know what you want, you think you know what you're after, you're making mistakes, and, and maybe from a parental view, you're looking at it saying, man, this is a serious one, and, and this one is just, and you know, I just don't know why they're like this. And time and time again, I talk to parents, especially in the junior high years, and they're like, please tell me what to do. And, and, and often I'll say, you just gotta consistently keep doing what you're doing. You gotta keep going forward. You remember the statements from your parents, you know, hey, you better not wreck the car. How many of you wrecked the car when you were 16 to 18 years old? Okay. There we go, hands up. I did as well. How about this? You better not get a speeding ticket. I got mine 16 years old, going 75 and a 55. Remember the police officer said, do you know I could take your license away until you're 19? I was like, please, I'll do anything. Please don't do that. I'm already going to be in trouble. Don't take it away. Isn't it amazing how we can shift in this day and age and because of society and because of culture, we are so good at being the judge and we are so good at condemning. We are so good at assuming this person's going to make it and this person's not going to make it and this person's got potential and this person's too far gone. And, and I just, I've just, i never seen Seeing a situation like this, it's so easy for us to look and say, this is just kind of a lost cause. And the truth is, to, to be fair, and for the teenagers in this room tonight, I'm not preaching this giving an excuse for wrongdoing. Obviously there's consequences, and obviously Peter suffered with them, and some of them more emotionally even than physically. You ever think about the emotional pain that Peter suffered as Christ turns and looked at him after cursing and denying him three times? The Savior staring you in the face, he has to live with that. So I'm not excusing the wrongdoing and I'm not excusing the behavior of those that we would say, this is a hopeless life and this is a lost cause. But what I'm saying is God is not done with the person that in our mind appears to be hopeless. Maybe there's a teenager that you're praying for. Maybe it's a teenager in your family. Maybe it's a, 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 a young adult that's, that's wayward and away from the Lord right now. I just want to tell you, there is nobody in the eyes of our Savior, Jesus Christ, that he looks at and says, that life is hopeless and that life, life is lost. A teenager called me on the way to this trip here tonight, and he had a Bible question. And I love that. That's not, that's not often, by the way, that they'll just call and say, hey, I have a Bible question. But uh, tonight it was, and it's actually one of the boys from our, uh, one of our public schools in our city who's recently gotten saved, recently been on his friend. His friend got saved this past Sunday in our service, he was so excited about it. He called me, and he was asking questions about uh, about um, the, the, the sinners, and how, how late is it for somebody who's sinning, and if they are almost about to die, and then if they trust Christ as their Savior, is it still possible for them to go to heaven? And I knew in his mind he's worried about someone in his life who maybe he's thinking is on the edge or, or about, to, um, uh, about to throw it all away. And he was, he was very serious about the question, if someone sins and sins and sins, and then just moments before they get saved, or before they die, um, can they still get saved? And the Lord has brought that, that's, that scenario to my mind of, of Jesus on the cross. And the two men standing next to him, I said, hey, you know, what? Let me tell you a story real quick. I said, in their very final breaths of a person that was on the cross because he deserved it, he looked at Christ and believed, and what did Christ say today? You'll be with me in paradise. In his final moments, and I said, hey, no one's ever too far gone. I've been guilty in my life too often of really writing people off at times. There's just, there's no way. And we'll say stuff that sounds spiritual, like, um, yeah, well, the the Lord's really just got to get hold of them if God's going to do anything, as if then we just, well, then it's off our responsibility and the blood's not on our hands anymore. And we'll step back and say, yeah, it's just, I mean, that's going to have to be a God thing. Well, let me just tell you, first of all, it's always a God thing. But in those situations, we can't give up on those people that in our mind, like Peter, appear to be hopeless when he's doubting, and he's doubting again, and then he's making mistakes, and he's making foolish decisions, and he's cutting off people's ears, and he's denying Christ. And again, we're going to get there. But remember what happens? We don't see it, but he's going to establish the church on him. There's incredible words in chapter 16. I just want to remind you, That God is not done with the person that appears to be hopeless. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, But God, who is rich in mercy, praise God for that, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. How about Isaiah 55, 7? Let the wicked forsake his way, and the righteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord. And he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly Pardon, And I just want to tell you, there is nobody that is ever really hopeless. There is nobody ever too far gone. And what we need today is to be that person, or be that parent, or be that mentor, as we'll talk about in a minute, that would step back a little bit on the condoning and condemning and just start loving people back to Jesus Christ. And that brings us to the second thing I want to talk about tonight. So first of all, we see tonight a hopeless life when we talk about Peter. But then I want us to look at this a forbearing mentor a forbearing mentor and of course it was the greatest that anyone could ever have was the lord jesus christ but have you ever thought about how jesus showed so much patience with peter luke 5 jesus patiently guided peter in the miraculous catch of fish when he doubted matthew 14 jesus reached out to save peter when he started sinking while walking on the water Matthew 16, Jesus responded firmly but patiently with Peter, rebuking him about his death and resurrection. Luke 22, Jesus predicted Peter's denial but expressed his understanding and prayed for Peter's faith not to fail. Wow. John 21, 15 through 19, after Peter's denials, Jesus lovingly restored him and reassigned him to serve in his kingdom. These instances highlight Jesus' patience, and love for Peter, even during moments of doubt, mistakes, and failures. It shows how Jesus patiently worked with Peter, never giving up on him and affirming his potential to serve and grow in his faith. Jesus recognized his uniqueness. And all of our kids are unique, aren't they, in a different, special way. Young people today are unique and they have their differences. I was just recently preaching at a camp and I said, don't ever apologize for who God created you to be. And I said, don't use that as an excuse to live a sinful and wicked lifestyle and then glory in it. But the way you are, your gifts, your abilities, never, never, never be ashamed of that. Jesus recognized who Peter would be. Jesus consistently demonstrated the love of his father. Jesus saw the big picture of who Peter could become. You know, Young people and teenagers and young adults today are in desperate need of somebody to believe in them. They're so, teenagers are so quickly disregarded as potential for serving God with their life or living up to greater potential sometimes because of what we appear to see in them at this moment. Some of the greatest words you could say is just, I'm really proud of you. I believe in you. My years of ministry, I've had some of the toughest and roughest people throw their arms around my neck and cry when I would say, hey, I believe in you and my wife is really the one that kind of started that in her math class. And almost as a joke, she teaches pre-cal and, um, and algebra. And you've got to believe in kids for pre-cal and algebra, okay? Algebra too. But she would tell them before tests and quizzes, hey, I believe in you. I'd be like, no, you don't. If you believed in us, you wouldn't be doing this to us. And then it kind of came a joke in her class. I was there one day, and one of them said, yeah, I know, Mrs. Connors. You know, you believe in us. Um, but the truth is, it, it kind of struck me that people need to know we believe in them. By the way, people know if you don't, but you say you do. People know when you're fake. You know, That's one thing we talk about. I Me, mean, Brother Sam, we always talk about, you know, be, be right, be wrong, be whatever, but be real. Okay, be real about it. Sometimes that gets us in trouble. We go a little too far, okay, being too real. Um, but, but the truth is, you know when someone's fake. If somebody meets you and they're glad to meet you, you know. If somebody meets you and they couldn't give a rip that they met you, you also know. Whether they ask you your name or your birthday or where you're from and they act like they're glad to see you, they know if it's real or not or if it's genuine. Young people didn't need see someone to say, hey, I believe in you. And time and time again, we see our Savior face-to-face with Peter after making a stupid mistake, and the love that he showed, and the patience he showed, and the long-suffering he showed is an incredible example to us of the way we're supposed to reach out to people who, hey, they're sinners. They're supposed to be making mistakes. That's what sinners do. I've got a picture of somebody, um, the first picture up on the screen, of a boy that was in our youth group in our church, And uh, his name's Eddie, and Eddie was one of those guys that um, he's kind of low-key, but had pretty bad friends, and didn't really get in a lot of trouble, at least at the Christian school I was there, at times like that. Uh, But from the picture, I am like, yeah, that boy looks rough. Like, no no hope for that boy, okay? And right now, in that picture, he's somewhere in Texas, okay? So, you know, just just, just a rough kind of guy. And um, I just remember the day I got a phone call, and... He said, hey, Mr. Connor, no name, just like, hey, Mr. Connors, you know, I really feel like God wants me to be in ministry. And I'm like, who is this? Like, I don't even know who's on the phone and who's calling me right now and how you got my number. Who is this? And he said, it's Eddie. And for a minute, I almost had to say, like, Eddie who? Like, I, I, that's, that's kind of how far removed we had gotten. I knew him in junior high and high school. I mean, I'd reach out to him. I knew his family. Um, but he said, no, I, I really feel like God's calling me. I need you to help me. I'm thinking, I'll help you, but I, I just, you know, and, I, and all I remember is this, okay? So he's like, I think God wants me to go to Bible college to be a preacher. I'm like, well, we need to sit down and talk real quick, okay? Because you can't bring that, okay, um, that outfit, and, and at least at the time, you, you know, the beard may have to trim down a little bit or co- completely go, and I'm thinking, what, what is going on right now? Well, I remember a few years later, um, him making the move and taking the step. And just a few years ago, our next picture is us at his uh, graduation in, uh, in Christian college. He graduated and um, was there for his graduation. Super proud of him to see him uh, finishing his degree. And school was not his thing. Even in high school, he struggled through high school. He would admit that. Um, he had to retake classes. He had to get tutoring. He had teachers that loved him and prayed for him and cared for him. And uh, this was a few years ago. And then our last picture is last year. Uh, that's him in our youth group serving with me in the teen ministry, playing a game with them preaching. He did neighborhood bible time one summer and traveled the country preaching and doing games with the kids. He does a great job. This past week, um, our assistant pastor said hey, I want to tell you something about Eddie. And when you hear that, when he's working under me, I'm like, "Oh, no. What what, what happened? What did he do?" you know? And he said, "I just want you to know three different people this week came up to me and told me what an impact he's had in their teenagers' lives this summer. For the last 6 months, He gets up every day at 530 and drives to the gym at the school to unlock the gym to work out with teen guys that aren't allowed to have a gym membership but want somewhere to work out to get ready for sports for the next season. Six days a week. Opens the gym, drives in. One day on his day off, um, I was going into work. We had different days off, and he was leaving the school. I said, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm working out with the boys. I'm like, it's your day off. You don't tell them uh, to take a day off when you take a day off? He's like, no, if they want to work out, I come in. You know, he would have been one of those people, you know, looking back at somewhere in Texas, you know, who would have thought? God's using him in an incredible way. You just never know. And here's what he told me once. And honestly, this is all glory to God, because I, I promise you I don't remember. He told me he remembers me visiting him time and time again in his house. I honestly don't remember. He said, I remember you picking me up on Saturdays once in a while and going visiting with me and talking to me about my future. And I I, I remember a lot of faces. And I I remember those times with a lot of people. But I don't remember it, not even once. I said, I don't think I did. He's like, no, you did. I said, maybe it was the other guy that was helping me. He said, no, it was you. Like, I remember you coming to my house. You'd pick me up. We'd grab a donut. We'd talk. You just never know. Remember what the Bible says about charity or, or love in 1 Corinthians 13, 7? It beareth all things. It believeth all things. Hopeth all things. Endureth all things. Aren't you thankful for the person that believed in you? Aren't you thankful for the person that had hope for you and for your future when you were young and lost and hopeless and felt like the world around you was too heavy and someone said, hey, you're going to be fine. You're going to make it. You're going to be okay. You can do this. What a difference we can make in the lives of this next generation if we stop judging and condemning and started believing in them. You know the story of Nick Vojacek and the incredible ministry God's given him. He was born uh, with a disease that left him with, with um, no arms and no legs. And he's been able to travel the country and speak and preach and make an incredible impact for the Lord. You know who he credits his caring for him to? A janitor in the public school. He said, a caring Christian janitor. He said, he saw something in me, befriended me, offering a listening ear, encouragement, and sharing the message of God and purpose for the individual. A man now with a, a social media platform and a following of millions travels the world, and they put him up and he sits on the pulpit with no legs and no arms, and he preaches. And he said, A janitor in a Christian school made a difference in my life. You know, you're the closest thing that somebody knows to Jesus. You're the closest person that's got the answers, that's got the words, I believe in you, that somebody's looking for to say, You know what? I can do that. I can make it. I can get there. I can become something. And time and time again, we see that in the life of Peter, of him failing and failing and failing. And he wants to follow. He left his nets. He wasn't made to. He, he did have something deep inside. He wanted what he had. But he's making dumb mistakes, making foolish decisions. Hopeless life. A forbearing mentor. But then I want to say this in closing. Then we see a forever follower a forever follower. And Jesus, Matthew 4, verse 18, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, and they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. Peter, I believe, with all of his heart from the moment that he threw those nets down, he had a desire and a passion to follow Jesus. You know, the bumps in the road and the mistakes and the trials, here's what I believe. I think the difference in him achieving that desire, honestly, has nothing to do with himself, but it has everything to do with who is still believing in him when he messed up. Because when you leave your nets and you leave everything you know to turn and to follow somebody, that is a level or a step of commitment. And I fear that too often, we get young people who get excited for the Lord. We just had summer camp, and our teens went at the same time your church did. Incredible time at summer camp, and God really worked in a special way. And these teens come back, and they want to do something for God, and they're on fire for God, and they want to change the world for God. And I think that too often, we may just over, I think, well, maybe, well, you're not, you're not, demonstrate, you're not I remember the times being discouraged, and and not meaning to, but growing up, comments on people like, didn't you make a decision at camp? You know, I thought you were going to read your Bible more. I thought you were—I think it had everything to do with every time he looked at Jesus Christ, I believe Peter looked into his eyes and saw Jesus saying, I believe in you. You keep following me. It's going to be okay. And it's demonstrated by his patience and his kindness and his love time and time and time and time again. And I believe the difference was who was still there believing in him. People are looking for someone to say, you can do it, you can make it. Such a sad story is the one of football player Aaron Hernandez, and you know the story well. But I don't know if you know this part of the story. You know, uh, he received a life sentence for murdering his friend in 2013, and after he committed suicide in that, he committed suicide in his jail cell. Terrible story. You read about it, it's horrible. But I don't know if you ever read about the phone conversation he had with his mom. It's really interesting. It says in an article, the former football player reportedly tried to repair the damage between him and his mom after their relationship supposedly fractured following the 2006 death of Hernandez's father. Dad was out of the picture, passed away. He's trying to build it with his mom. Here's what he said. So many things I would love to talk to you about so you can know me as a person, he told his mom on a phone call, which were recorded by authorities and released to the public later. But I could never tell you, and you're going to die without ever even knowing your son. He said, I was the happiest little kid in the world, and you messed me up. And her response was, I ain't living with that. He said, you did. You messed me up. He said, I had nobody. What did you think I was going to become, a perfect angel? He said, you ruined me. You're the reason I could never pay attention in class. You're the reason I got into fights. I had health issues. You were supposed to get me medication. Her response was this, I knocked you over the head with a hammer. That was your medication. You know, I think about that, I can't help but wonder if the story might turn out just a little differently, if after the passing of his mom and him reaching out for someone to care about him, that if his mom steps in and says, hey, I still believe in you, that he doesn't maybe kill somebody else and then hang himself later in his prison cell just if maybe his desiring to know her closer and know her better and for her to believe in him, if it could not have been the difference. God specifically has placed people in our reach that we're supposed to be stewarding and looking out for. We need to recognize the priority of who God's placed around us. People to encourage, people to love, people to believe in, Because some of these people have made a commitment and made a decision, and they want to follow, and they want to do right, but they're just needing somebody during the rocky waters and during the rough times and during the storms of life to say, hey, you're still okay. You're still going to make it. You know, when I was in eighth or ninth grade, God called me to preach at a summer camp. And honestly, I think people for sure would have doubted my calling, and you know, I got in a lot of trouble growing up, and I always, you know, would say too much. And you know, I just, I always said, one, one more thing to say too many, and um, one more joke past the line. You know, you, you get to the line, you're supposed to stop, and I just, whoo, jump right over the line every time. And it didn't stop in high school, I carried that into college, and even in college. Um, just, just to be honest with you, um, people, I didn't give people a very good reason to believe in me, and rightfully so. But there were a few people who still did. We've talked about some of those people. They're the same people that's still for you. They still did. They, they still cared enough to just call you in once in a while and ask you how you're doing. And that's really all it took. I remember one time, one person calling me in their office I thought I was in trouble. Usually, when I got called to the office, I was in trouble. So, like, you know, Matt, you need to go see so and so in the office. I thought, well, this is it. I'm going to make my phone call, tell my parents buy my plane ticket. And I sat down. He said, How are you doing? I was like, Just tell me what I did. Just tell me what's up. I said, I'm doing okay. You know, and then you sit there, you're waiting. He said, Do you need anything? I was like, I don't know. Do I? You know, I don't know. He said, well, I just want to make sure you're doing okay. I said, Yeah, I think so. I think I'm doing good in my mind. I'm thinking, like, What did I do? What is he trying to get at? I, mean, I, I want to answer honestly. And he said, well, if you ever need anything, my office is open, and um, if I can ever be a help to you, I, I want you to all be here. I'm really glad you're here. That was my whole meeting. Never forgotten that. I've forgotten a lot of faces from college. Forgotten a lot of professors, forgot a lot of lectures. Never forgot that meeting. It's just one person who called you in and took the time to set up an appointment to sit down and say, if you ever need anything, I'm here. As rough as Peter was, Jesus saw something in him. He saw the big picture. And what are some of the key notes to to mention at the end of, uh, at the post-resurrection activities? How about Pentecost? After Jesus' ascension, Peter was present on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit descended upon the apostles. The conversion of 3,000 people from the lost cause. How about the preaching and the miracles in the book of Acts? How about the leadership and the establishment, the rock of the early church? How about the missionary work, and how about his death? Talk about a faithful and a forever follower. Peter was martyred in Rome during the reign of Nero. He is said to have been crucified upside down as he reportedly requested not to be crucified in the same manner of Christ because he was not worthy. Talk about a forever faithful follower of somebody who would have appeared to be, out of all the disciples, possibly the greatest lost cause. And I love these stories of people in the Bible because it gives me hope for this next generation, that in a time when things seem so dark and appear so grim, and there's so much negativity and so much condemning, that if we just love people and keep on people and keep after people and invest in people, God is working, and God is doing things in their lives. And it could just be something that small has taken place, and all that they need to keep going is just a little bit of encouragement, and all they need to keep going is your prayers, and all they need to keep going is just a simple note or a simple text or a simple phone call this generation, too, is special. It's also created in God's image. You hear people say, well, in the good old days. Well, for teenagers, these are the good old days. These are their days. These are good days for them. These are exciting days for them. The gospel's still going forward for them. We can still give the gospel for them. These are good days for them. You know, we were created in the image of our, of our God. We were. They are. They still are. People will always be. There's always an opportunity and always hope for the Holy Spirit to do amazing things in the lives of the most lost cause people. Ephesians 3.20 says, but now unto him that is able, I love this verse, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, to do exceeding abundantly, not just something, not just get them through, not just, you know, they average exceeding abundantly above all we could ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Peter, the lost cause, Peter the follower, Peter the pillar of the church, Peter the martyr, you just never know. See these stories of people in the Bible, like Rahab, with a wicked life of prostitution, and and who would know when you read Matthew and you go through the genealogy and it comes right through her line to our Savior, who would have thought? Who would have thought she would have raised a godly son like Boaz? Yeah, that's his mom who would be the kinsman redeemer, and that picture to continue the line through Rahab, the heart of the... And that's just one. And the story goes on and on with Moses and with these different people. Who you would say, they're not going to make it. They're a lost cause. There's no hope. Look at who they are. Look at what they're doing. Look at what they've done. And I just want to say today to keep loving, keep believing, keep investing. By the way, somebody... Is gonna love and believe and invest in them one way or another. So it better be the church. It better be the godly people in this room that believes in them because somebody somewhere else is gonna believe in them, believe in them. Somebody somewhere else has a mission for them. Somebody somewhere else has an agenda for them. And if the church doesn't pick it up and the church doesn't carry the burden, the lost cause, they'll stay the lost cause. Praise God they don't have to. And may we do our part as a church to reach and encourage and love the next generation and even those that seem like they may be the most lost. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.